hi. Snuggle up. Bedtime's about to be a dream. It's good night bedtime stories. A perfect way to end the day. Good night. Introducing Nickelodeon's Good Night Bedtime Stories. It's the only podcast where the best part <sighs> is missing the ending. It's bedtime the Nickelodeon way. Listen to Nickelodeon's Good Night Bedtime Stories wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready to skidoo into stories because there's a new season of Storytime with Josh and Blue. Skidoo, we can too inside our storybook with you. Your preschooler <laughs> can wind down wherever you choose. Blue's always ready for a snuggly snooze. Ooh, I think I'm almost ready for a nap now, too. When it's time to settle down, Blue and all her friends are here for your preschooler. <laughs> Listen to Storytime with Josh and Blue wherever you get your podcasts. Here we see Bikini Bottom teeming with life, home of one of my favorite creatures, SpongeBob SquarePants. Yes, of course he lives in a pineapple, you silly. He started showing me little drawings, little doodles, and I remember when he showed me that square, the square SpongeBob for the first time, you know, he kind of, he was working on like an amorphous, SpongeBob originally was just like kind of a more realistic amorphous sponge, and yeah. at some point it clicked, and so he drew the square, and, I'm, and he showed it to me, and I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's it, that's, that's really <laughs> good, you know? Welcome to SpongeBob Binge Pants, Nickelodeon's official podcast about all things SpongeBob. I'm Hector Navarro. And I'm Frankie Grande. We're back with an amazing interview today. Really one of the most important figures in SpongeBob history. We are talking to Mr. Derek Dryman today. Derek was in development for the show itself in the very beginning, working on creating these characters, creating the stories, worked on the first three seasons, the first movie, and in that became a supervising director and producer on the show. Just an awesome awesome guy. This man was in the room where it happens for everything. So we get all of this amazing information in this interview today, as well as we touch on some of his most recent work. So we're going to get into that as well. So it's a wonderful interview and I'm really excited. Hector, shall, shall we get into it? Let's do it. Hope you guys enjoy. I want to talk about Hotel Transylvania, Transformania. You co-directed the movie with Jennifer Kluska. What I would love to know is what was the most rewarding part of that experience, Derek? Hotel T was my first, you know, directing job on a full feature. I've been working in features for a bunch of years and yeah. I've directed uh, shorts and commercial. I, you know, I was doing commercials for a little while and, you know, and then a lot of TV stuff. So the feature was rewarding just to finish it. It was rewarding to get through it. Th those yeah. things are are so big. The level of quality of the animation and the team that Sony has, they're the, some of the best people in the world that are working there. So just working with that level of, I don't know, skill, it's just inspiring. And it would push me to be better, do better, you know, try to direct better. It's 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 hard when you have these people that are, they're the best in the world and they're looking to yeah. you, okay, what are we going to do now? And uh, it's, it's like, <laughs> I, hope I, <laughs> I don't want to send them down the wrong road, you know? Coming from the world of TV animation, you're very familiar with what it takes to make a cartoon for television and the mm -hmm. budgets and those constraints that you get was that something that like knowing that and then you come to the feature world were you ever surprised where you're like man if only we could do this and someone's like we can do that you're like oh whoa what <laughs> really i mean was that kind of a bit of a change for you going into the world of features 
Well, when I worked at Illumination for a couple of years, and mm -hmm. that's how Illumination was. You know, you could get almost any song you wanted. You could get, again, some of the greatest animators uh, in the world were, were doing it. So there was always a deadline, but if you need a little more time, you could get it most of the time. So wow. that, was, that was kind of an unshackling. It's like, wow, you can almost do anything you can think of, which could lead you down a rabbit hole of all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of second guessing yourself constantly. But so that was exciting because, because there was, that was only limited by your imagination or I don't know what you could come up with or what, you know, what everybody liked, that kind of thing. That's awesome. Hotel T was a little different because the schedule was really compressed. They wanted to get mm. it out quick. So there were a lot of limitations on it. And so actually the TV experience and, and Jen had TV experience too. And, you know, of course, Gendy has TV experience. So you know, we all kind of came out of television, and so we knew how to make the best out of what you have. And sometimes great things come out of that, too. It's, you know, you got to make decisions fast and then stick to them and drive it all the way yeah. through the, the whole process. So, it, so it's a give and take, and, and it, it is exciting to have all the money in the world to make these things, but then it's not always the best because, like I said, I've seen some movies where, where uh, people just spin and they keep coming up with different, mm. oh, we can make it better, we can make it better. And in this attempt to make something great, they forget how to make something just good and how to tell a story <laughs> well. Yeah. And eventually you do run out of time and money and then it's like pencils down and you, and then sometimes you're left with like, oh, this isn't so hot. But that didn't happen. Like I could say Hotel T was nice because we were just hit the ground running. Gendy wrote, you know, wrote a script. We made the script as he was writing it, you know, and then we would kind of tweak it as we went and there wasn't really any time to kind of rethink you know yeah no, I, I love that to your point though like if the shark had worked in jaws steven spielberg's movie would have been different it would not have been as good but the fact that right. that, that the robot shark didn't work he yeah. had to pivot and it was then the most successful suspenseful movie of all time so that's yeah. a great example yeah that, that's you know television's a great example of that like television animation right it's super limited compared mm. to to feature but you can make things that stick around and hit people years after you make them and then you could have all the money in the world and make a movie and and it uh and it kind of fizzles and, and people forgot about it yeah like on spongebob it was always like try to find what kids relate to it's always kids stories it's kind of what are they going through in their life you can make a story about that every kid is going through th that and then every adult has gone through that so they can remember what it was like you know <laughs> the embarrassments yep. or things like that I guess I ripped my pants again. <laughs> Once again, dude, you have split my sides. <laughs> Interesting detail for Hotel T is the, the editor from Hotel T was the editor from the SpongeBob show, uh, Lynn Hobson. Oh, wow. <gasps> she was on all the, <laughs> you know, all the TV show and then she did the first movie with us. So you really had an all-star crew of TV animation veterans. Like you, you really did. Like everybody had that uh, background, yeah, that, that background. mentality and skill set. Yeah, yeah. Are, that's great. Yeah, two kind of veteran television guys worked on almost the whole show for us and did some of the, our, a lot of our boarding. And again, sometimes they would get a little too uh, theatrical with their boarding, and Jen and I would have to okay, mm -hmm. tone it down. Remember TV. Think about television. Like how <laughs> if you had to do this for TV, how would you do it? And then <laughs> it, it kind of changes the way you have to think and stage and but you know feature storyboard artists who had never worked in television they don't they might not understand that language or they mm -hmm. might think oh this is 
cheap and easy. You still got to be creative. Mm-hmm. You still have to entertain people, but doing it in a way that works on television is, is a little different. Yeah, it's all about clarity. It's all about, you know, being able to tell that story in a clear and concise and simple way. And sometimes that is more difficult. I'm okay. You know, you're the first sea critter to ever visit. I can't imagine why. Can I get you anything? Water would be nice. I'm going to put these in a vase. Take your time. world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! You met a bunch of awesome folks on Rocco's Modern Life, and eventually that would coalesce into the SpongeBob team. But even before SpongeBob, I have to mention this. Derek, you worked on Hey Arnold, Cat Dog, the Action League Now stuff for Kablam, which was so much fun. Just kind of tell us briefly, what was it like to be at Nickelodeon at that magical time in cartoon mm-hmm. history, man? Everybody doing all these this, these great shows and this great stuff. It's funny to say it's magical. It was my first job. We were all in our 20s because it was a non-union shop. And so mm. they couldn't get the really experienced big leaguers because they were all at Disney or Warner's or those different places. So they would usually hire one or two very experienced people. Um, right. And then, and then they would hire a bunch of kids right off the street. You know, Steve was a experimental animation major. Like, he wasn't even a character mm-hmm. animator. Like, wow. Nickelodeon was pretty young, and there weren't a lot of rules mm-hmm. yet. Someone like me could just hop around and, hey, I'm a writer. And then they would let you write, you know. And, oh, I'm an artist, too. Awesome. And then they would let you draw. It, it was, it was yeah. they kind of just needed people to do stuff. And if you went up and said, oh, that's what I do, uh, then, you know, they would at least give you a chance. Today's the big day, Gary. <coughs> Look at me. I'm naked. Yes. <laughs> Gotta be in top physical condition for today, Gary. It feels like with every person we talk to, Derek, talking about that era, that everyone's very humble and they're like, man, we're just just a bunch of kids, we're just doing whatever. But Frankie and I, because we're these adults who get to like analyze it, we're going, they had the exact right style of outsiders and people who had heart and people who, like you were saying, Derek, like kind of outside the box, typically to what animation in television was happening at the time, that all of these folks and everything that they were bringing to the table would lead to these great and unique Nickelodeon shows. The thing you, you touched on, you know, I really believe what makes a show, what makes a show are the people working on it. And, and so, yes. you know, if you, you change up the crew, you're going to get a different result. Sure. And that's, that's true sure. in movies. That's true in, in mm-hmm. TV. Um, there's a certain flavor that is in the crew that, you know, if you've, if you worked on it, you can see it when you watch the, the, the movie or the show or the totally. TV show. So, yeah, for sure, it's the it's the personalities involved, which is, you know, it's nice. It's it's that's kind of the artist hand, you know, that you're, yeah. you're sensing. Yeah, and that's what made SpongeBob so unbelievably special. They were just the perfect people in the perfect place at the perfect time, and you were there. So we would love to talk to you a little bit about like how did you get involved and when did you learn about this show? So I started working with Steve on Rocco, 
Uh, mm-hmm. He was he had become the creative director when I the same season that I jumped up and became a storyboard artist. My partner was Mark O'Hare. Mark was Steve's storyboard artist. So mm. Steve and Mark already had a connection. You know, I came in, I just had a ton of energy and I just thought, oh, let's make cartoons. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Mark really had to like, all right, slow down, take it easy. You know, he was very methodical um, and, and just kind of would big th- would think and think and think about things. And I would present all mm. these ideas and he would think and think and redo. Steve is exactly that way too. He was He was very methodical, very kind of slow moving you know you could present him with a bunch of ideas he wouldn't say yes or no right away he would think about him you know he had this idea to do a show he approached Mar- uh, uh, robert skull who was a close friend of his uh who was another mm. storyboard director but robert was finishing rocco and he was gonna i think he was gonna get on a boat and he was gonna sail the world and he was like he needed a big break he was done and wow. so he, he was unavailable <laughs> and then um steve also asked mark if he was interested in uh in working with him on this idea and Mark had just sold a comic strip called Citizen Dog to uh, Universal Press. So he that was kind of cool. his big dream was to do comic strips. So he was kind of going off in that direction. And so I was in the room when Steve brought it up and Mark, <laughs> you know, Mark's really good at saying no. You know, he's like, you know, I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm too busy doing this other thing. And so he left and then I was sitting there. <laughs> For me, I was so happy to be drawing storyboards and I knew Rocco was ending. You know, I said to Mark, boy, I would do that. And he's like, well, <laughs> he said, go ask him. So I, I followed him out. Aww. I ran after him <laughs> into the hallway. Uh, I caught him in like there was an oh atrium and I'm like, hey, I would do it if you uh, need somebody. You know, if you can't find anybody, keep me in mind. And so, wow. Wow. so then months later, months went by. And Steve was upstairs uh, finishing up Rocco, and I was downstairs on Arnold, and I just walked by, and we always talk and say hi. And he started showing me little drawings, little doodles, and I remember when he showed me that square, the square SpongeBob for the first time. You know, he kind of he was working on like an amorphous SpongeBob originally was just like kind of a more realistic amorphous sponge, and yeah. at some point it clicked, and so he drew the square, and I'm and he showed it to me, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's 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 it, that's that's really <laughs> good, you know. Um, <laughs> That's I mean, I think you'd already decided on it, but it was the first time I saw it. And it was one of those moments of, you know, when you see something for the first time that you, like, it's something that oh, totally makes sense, but no one had ever really done it before. Um, yeah. And it was like kind of that moment of like, oh, that's a really genius idea. He uh, eventually, you know, approached me about it. And and so he hired me to work with him as he would develop the show. And his original idea was, let's do a storyboard. You know, let's write a sh- let's write an episode. And so I'd go over to his house couple days a week after work and we would just kind of try to write an episode and then that quickly evolved into we don't really know enough about the character yet or the world to actually write an episode so Mm. it it eventually just became times we just get together and just talk about the characters you know we also you know had nick jennings working on uh backgrounds and painting style and you know trying to interpret steve's painting style into a show and then tim uh, Hill was also helping Steve organize it, and he would kind of bring up the, these hard questions about, you know, just from a writer's point of view, you know. And so it, it maybe took like nine months or something of Steve kind of working through until he got the Bible together, and then he pitched it. There it is, the finest eating establishment ever established for eating. The Krusty Krab, home of the Krabby Patty, with a help wanted sign in the window. For years, I've been dreaming of this moment. I'm going to go in there, march straight to the manager, look him straight in the eye, lay it on the line, and I can't do this! So wow. When, when That's you amazing. Were, 
It's so cool when you, again, just to hear you very humbly, because we built this up. It's this big legendary thing and this piece of cartoon history that you guys were there for. And you're just like, I just walked by, said, what's up? So, yeah, you know, it's so love fun. It. I love it. Do you remember anything that you guys came up with that didn't make it into kind of like a character or a story idea that you think it's kind of crazy to think that we even mentioned that all these years later? Like, can you recall anything that sort of fell on the cutting room floor, as it were, that, you know, somebody or you threw out any kind of juicy, you know, little what ifs that, that we don't know about? I remember when he first showed me Patrick, I forget what his name was, but he had a starfish and he was pink and he was really angry looking. <laughs> and the idea was that that he would be this like angry character who was really mad about being pink. And he was like this macho guy, but he hated the fact that, you know, people didn't think he was, you know, he just had this chip on his shoulder because he was pink. And that was about a, a day because he showed that to me. And, uh, (laughs) that's really what, what happened was that Steve would spend time working on things and then he would show, we would talk about it. And then I would just throw ideas back and just talk about it, maybe do it a little bit. And then I would leave and then he would stew on it. And then the next time he would have made some choices based on what we talked about. Um, and that that process of how we worked that's that's kind of how it worked all the way through was that I would give Steve a couple ideas and then I would go take a walk and by the time I got back to the conference room it gave him time to think and be on his own for a minute and then he was like okay this is what we're going to do and I forget what I said about the <laughs> the bully Patrick version and uh when I came <laughs> back the next time he was like oh no no it's going to be I think he's going to be the friend the dumb guy it was way closer to the Patrick you know so that was that was yeah. definitely one one Amazing. version. Yeah. What kind of place is this? There's no water in here. I'm trying to tell you. We've got to get out of here. You're doing it wrong. Wait, no. We've got to go. The show is picked up, and you sit down and you start making help wanted. I mean, as you're doing this and you're creating this, did you have a sense that this was going to be like a big hit, or were you just kind of having fun like you've been doing uh, yeah. up until this point? Well, I mean, I I was coming off of Rocco and, and just really being in love with the process of storyboarding and storyboard writing. When we finally got to do, you know, and then I was on Hey Arnold for a long time, and then I was on CatDog during this period, so I got to do it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But when we got to finally do Help Wanted, I was just really excited to do it. And Steve was such a funny guy. He was he was such a good joke writer. And you work with people that are um, really good or really better than you. It, it, it kind of forces you to, I got to really get my A game on. So it was definitely <laughs> intimidating, but um, but super fun. I was very proud of it. And I just thought, people are going to love this thing, you know, but Again, you don't know. I mean, there were like, there were definitely people that did not love it. Uh, I remember when we showed <laughs> the finished pilot to a conference room full of people. It was like a couple shows worth of people were just all piled into this conference conference room while watching it, and it definitely got laughs. But it was not like people weren't like stripping their clothes off. Like this is the greatest thing ever. It was just yeah. kind of like <laughs> I you know, like uh, I remember one guy went to me. He's like, yeah, it was good. It was cute. I goes, I don't know where you're going to go with it. It's like he got the job. <laughs> it was, yeah. But I, you know, I was, I loved it. I was, I was really proud of it. And, and, uh, 
and, and thought it was it was exactly what I wanted to do. I think that's really funny. Like I don't know where you're going to go with it, and then 20 years later, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just, yeah, no, he, he, so I, I've crazy. seen him since, and he was like, "Hey, I was wrong." <laughs> yeah, I was wrong. That's great. So. That's great. That's awesome. Um, Hector, I think we have to stop the interview here because yes. there's too much information. There's too much good tea that is still yet to be spilled. And too so much. we're excited to announce this is a two-parter, everybody. So <laughs> make sure you come back next week to hear the rest of our amazing interview with Derek Dryman about all things SpongeBob and all the origin stories about where he was, when it happened. Amazing, amazing interview to come. So make yeah. sure you check that out next week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys in a week for part two. Bye.